Thank you for joining us here at First Baptist Church of San Antonio, whether online or on broadcast, in your homes or wherever you may be. We want you to know that you are more than welcome to be a part of the life of this church. And we want you to know that we want you to meet Jesus today. In order for this to happen regularly, we need your support, we need your prayers, and we need your financial gifts. Please continue to give and be a part of what we do today. Well, good morning and welcome to worship. If you are new with us today, thank you so much for coming into an unknown place among an unknown people. We hope, if you're new, that you have felt incredibly welcomed. Um, If not, we hope you feel that way by the end of our worship together. And let me just say up front, if you are new today, I want to be able to meet you. So at the close of our time of worship today, I'm gonna stand down right here down front and after everyone is dismissed, if you would just come down and greet me, I'd love to see you, meet you, and know your name, but we are certainly glad that you're here. One way that you can let us know that you're here is by going to fbcsa.org slash connect. You can do that on your phone right now. I'll let you do that. Um, But we would love to know that you are here. Another part of our worship is giving, and we always invite um, our church family and others to continue to give as an act of worship and trusting all of ourselves to the Lord and knowing that he has given us all that we have. Um, We also ask to give to further what God is doing through our church family. You can do that on your phone as well, or you can... Um, Some of you have little envelopes or whatever, and you can put those in little boxes at all of our exits. Um, So join us in worship in that way as well. So we are in Job. We have been in the book of Job for five weeks now, Um, and it hasn't been easy reading, has it? Uh, Job is very intentionally designed for us to walk with Job through this very emotional journey as he sits in his suffering and begins to wonder why in the world are these kind of things happening to me of all people, one who has sought after God with his whole heart. The Bible describes him as blameless. Even God calls him blameless in chapter one of Job. And he has friends Along the way, three friends primarily, and then four friends who don't help at all, do they? Uh, in fact, Job says, gosh, if it would be nice if you were that cool brook that would comfort me. But no, you're a dry brook. You don't comfort me at all. I wish you would just be quiet and leave. And his friends continued that drumbeat of accusation that surely... There is something you have done that has brought God's judgment 
against you. Job is in a more than a tough place. Job is going through excruciating, terrible suffering with no end in sight. At least that's where his heart and mind is. And the book of Job, in the form of prose and poetry, really captures the angst and concern and complaints and emotions of Job, and it does it that way on purpose. So this morning, rather than read a portion of Scripture together, I'm going to ask you just to receive the reading of God's word this morning. I'm going to read all of Job 7, um, and then we'll spend some time and make a few observations and ask a few questions along the way ourselves. So let's pray, and then I want you just to receive the reading of God's word as it was intended to be received. Let's pray. Father, this is your word to us, and so give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, help us to sympathize with Job in his weakness in the same way your Savior sympathizes with our own. Bless your word. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Is not all human life a struggle? Our lives are like that of a hired hand, like a worker who longs for the shade, like a servant waiting to be paid. I too have been assigned months of futility, long and weary nights of misery. Lying in bed, I think, when will it be morning? But the night just drags on and I toss till dawn. My body is covered with maggots and scabs. My skin breaks open, oozing with pus. My days fly faster than a weaver's shuttle. They end without hope. Oh God, remember that my life is but a breath and I will never again feel happiness. You see me now, but not for long. You will look for me, but I will be gone. Just as a cloud dissipates and vanishes, those who die will not come back. They are gone forever from their home, never to be seen again. I cannot keep from speaking. I must express my anguish. My bitter soul must complain. Am I a sea monster or a dragon that you must place me under guard? I think my bed will comfort me and sleep will ease my misery, but then you shatter me with dreams and terrify me with visions. I would rather be strangled, rather die than suffer like this. I hate my life and I don't want to go on living. Oh, leave me alone for my few days are remaining. What are people that you should make so much of us, that you should think of us so often? For you examine us every morning and test us every moment. Why won't you leave me alone? at least long enough for me to swallow. If I have sinned, what have I done to you, a watcher of all humanity? Why make me your target? Am I a a burden to you? Why not just forgive my sin and take away my guilt? For soon I will lie down in the dust and die. When you look for me, 
I will be gone. Those are tough words from Job. Real words of where he was in the midst of his suffering. I'm not sure if we can empathize with Job completely. I I don't know if there are many of us who have undergone the kind of suffering that Job experienced. Surely there are many in this room that have suffered tremendously. But Job, we read those words of Job and there's a part of it that says, I get that. I get where you are. I want to do two things primarily this morning. The first is um, I want just to walk through these verses pretty briskly, and I want to identify some observations that Job is making in the first part of this chapter, and then I also want to talk about a few of his complaints that he has towards the Lord. But ultimately, I want to land on answering this question. When is it okay for us to complain in our life? That's where I want us to land. When is it okay for you to complain? So first, let's just begin with these observations. Again, Job is making these observations out of his own suffering. We've heard these kinds of observations before. Job is not original to make these observations. But he says in verse 1, is not all human life a struggle Our lives are like that of a hired hand, like a worker who longs for the shade, like a servant waiting to be paid. I, too, have been assigned months of futility. Some of your translations say vanity, long and weary nights of misery. What is is Job saying to us in that moment? He's essentially describing to us his observations about the nature of life. It's almost as if he's completely forgotten about all the blessings that God had given him in his abundance and his family and his wealth. And now his suffering is right here. And all he can see is his suffering. And now he's come to the realization that life seems without purpose. It's meaningless. It's just vain. What good is it? What good is life? What purpose? And in fact, on top of that, he ends with verse five. He says, not only is life just vain and purposeless, but in in verse five, he says, and then you add that my body is covered with maggots and scabs. I hate saying that over and over again. I'm sorry. You're like, ugh, it is, it's horrible. But the point is, is not only is life pointless in his view and vain and purposeless, but on top of that, I'm just suffering. My suffering is pointless. There's no end to it and there's no purpose to it. That's the first observation that Job makes is that life is purposeless, especially in light of his suffering. And then verses six through 10, he says, my days fly faster than a weaver's shuttle. They end without hope. Oh God, remember that my life is but a breath. I will never again feel happiness. You see me now, but not for long. You will look for me, but I will be gone just as a cloud dissipates and vanishes. Those who die will not come back. Just a word there. Job is not making some deep theological statement here about the resurrection or there is no resurrection. He's just describing what he sees in life. People die, you don't see them again. They're gone. They're in the grave. 
Later, he'll talk about trusting in the promise of God of having a renewed flesh and fellowship with him. But not now. Right now, he's just saying, life, life is hard and life is brief. That's his observation here. Not only is life purposeless, seem purposeless, but life is brief. Here today, gone tomorrow. I'm gone. In fact, Job would say, listen, it, my life is slipping away. I don't, there's no time for happiness. There's no time for meaningfulness in my life. When you stack that upon my suffering, I've got nowhere to go and where I'm going is coming quickly. I'm gonna be gone. And the moment you do turn around and look for me, I'll be nowhere to be found. It's like, kind of like being stuck at a high school graduation for three hours. I used to be in youth ministry in Virginia. And now hear me, I loved watching my students walk across the stage. But let's just be honest, three hours at a graduation of speeches where they say, just live your dream, you're gonna change the world? No, you're not. <laughs> oh, come on, can someone have a new speech? But that's what Job's like. He's like, I'm caught in this life and there's no end to it and it's purposeless and, and it's brief. Well, graduations aren't brief. But Job is saying, listen, that, that's how I see life right now and if you throw in everything I'm facing and my suffering, it just feels like there's no meaning, there's no joy, there's no hope. Here today, gone tomorrow. okay. What are Job's complaints? What are Job's complaints? And these complaints is where Job turns his voice towards the Lord. He actually begins crying out to the Lord. These, these verses up to this point mostly are targeted as a, either a soliloquy, he's just speaking to himself or to his friend, but very clearly, beginning in verse 12, he turns to accuse or complain towards God directly. Um, and so verse 12, we'll come back to verse 11 in a moment. But verse 12, he says this. Am I a sea monster or a dragon that you must place me under guard? What, what is he complaining about here? Um, Job is complaining, Lord, am I so terrible, so dangerous that you would have to put me under guard as if I were some ginormous sea monster or dragon. In, in ancient Hebrew literature, the sea and the sea monster was equivalent to terrible chaos. It was like the epitome of danger. And he's like, is that how you see me? It would be the equivalent of saying, Lord, am I really like Hitler? Am I, am I a mass murderer that I would draw that kind of ire from you? That kind of attention from you? And not only that, he says, listen, am I so terrible? But then he says, not to, to add to that, you don't even give me rest. Look at verses 13 through 14. Job says, I think my bed will comfort me and sleep will ease my misery, but then you shatter me with dreams and terrify me with visions. Job is saying, not only do you make my life miserable and you hem me in like as if I'm some sea monster, some dangerous person. But then the moment I think I can close my eyes and get some rest, even there, even there, you shatter my 
dreams and you give me visions that keep me up at night. I can't even get any rest. You won't let me rest, God. And then he accuses or complains about God's relentless judgment. Verses 17 through 22. And I know I quickly, I didn't even mention these verses where he echoes chapter three. He laments his own life. He wishes he were gone. Wish I were, I hate my life and don't want to go on living. Oh, leave me alone for my few remaining days. Yes, we know Job is in a low spot, but his complaint against the Lord is also that his judgment seems relentless. Verse 17, what are people that you should make so much of us that you should think of us so often? Now, this is almost verbatim um, a verse from Psalm 8. And someone in my Bible study group at 930 made the astute observation in Psalm chapter 8. That's a really cool thing to think about. That God gives his attention to his created beings. And we're so lowly and God is so lofty and yet he thinks of us. But not here. The tone is very different. Job is like, why do you have to think about us so much? Why do we capture your attention so much? It's not a good thing for Job. What are people that you should make so much of us, that you should think of us so often Verse 18, for you examine us every morning and test us every moment. Verse 19, why won't you leave me alone at least long enough for me to swallow? Have you ever been to the dentist? You know when they're working on your mouth and that pool of saliva and water just settles in the back of your throat and you're like, I can barely breathe. And you're like, I'm gonna drown. And you're like, Can, do they not know that water is pulling? And occasionally they'll do that, suck it out and stuff. But there's that brief moment where you're like, oh, it's gonna happen. I'm gonna drown right here. And right in the nick of time, they allow you to swallow. This is what Job is expressing here. You're so close. You are so close to me that I can't even swallow. I can barely breathe. Will you just leave me alone enough for me to swallow? He's got his complaints. Lord, your, your closeness, your nearness is not a comfort to me. Your judgment seems relentless to me. He no longer longs for the presence of God. In his suffering, in his suffering, God's nearness feels oppressive to him. And so he says, Lord, will you just go ahead and tell me what I've done? Remember, Job at this point has no... He has no clue. He's examined his own life. Even, even God himself has said, this guy is blameless. He seeks after me. His heart is mine. And so Job is reflecting on his own life and saying, I have no idea what I've done, but in his moment of suffering, he says, why don't you just go ahead and tell me? I can't figure it out. You tell me. Tell me my sin. Verse 21, why not just forgive my sin and take away my guilt? Lord, I don't even know what it is. Can you just go and forgive it? Can we just be done with this? And then he ends with these words, for soon I will die in the dust. 
lie down in the dust and die. When you look for me, I will be gone. Job says, um, Lord, by the time you turn around and decide to be merciful to me, my life will be over. He's in a low spot. The tough part about these chapters, one of the tough things about these chapters is that there is zero resolution in chapter seven, isn't there? It doesn't end with, oh, and Job put all of his hope in the Lord. And Job held on with pure joy that's set before him. It doesn't go there. And I think that's on purpose. I, I think we have to sit through this with Job, this sense of lack of resolution where there is peace at last and rest at last. I think this is, this is God saying to us, listen, I get it. I know that your days don't end with beautiful resolve. You don't conclude your arguments at home with a hug and a kiss and understanding and joy for one another. No, it lingers on. God is saying, listen, I know what human life is like. The author of Hebrews says, listen, Jesus understands our weaknesses. He knows what, it like, what it's like to suffer without end, to go to bed and wake up with the same Pharisees breathing down your neck. There's some goodness to this lack of resolution where God says, I understand. And I'm not providing any resolution today, by the way. We'll have to get that later. But I do want us to answer this question. When is it okay for you and I to complain? about the things that we're facing in life. When is it okay to complain? Now, just a quick disclaimer before I move on. I'm not talking about the, the complaining about, gosh, my, where's the hot water? I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about first world kind of problems. Gosh, I wish I had dessert today. And we're not talking about that kind of complaining. We're, we're talking about the sitting in kind of suffering, kind of complaining, where we have been the recipient of injustice upon injustice, whether big or small. We're talking about serious complaints and frustrations because of what life has thrown our way. When is it okay to complain about those kind of things? Job chapter seven, verse 11, Job says this, I cannot keep from speaking. I must express my anguish. My bitter soul must complain. Job said, I can't keep this in any longer. I've got to voice my frustration, my troubles, and my complaints. When is it okay to do that? When is it okay to do that? We're taught, or at least it's implied in much of the Christian life, that the pinnacle of maturity in our faith is contentment, that we're just okay with what comes, right? If you're a really strong Christian, if you're 
like Jesus, then you just take everything as it comes and you know, you just put a smile on your face and keep on trucking. I'm not sure if that's the picture that we really have in Scripture. After all, um, we can read verses uh, like Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 do everything without complaining and arguing. And we can take those verses and, and it seems to us that well, the, the, the pinnacle of the Christian life is that we're just mum. We just don't, when life is hard, really, if we were really faithful followers of Jesus, we wouldn't complain about those things. I don't think that's what Paul means. Um, when he wrote that verse. Uh, So when is it the right time to complain? My thinking is this, is that perhaps the kind of contentment that we see in Scripture is learned through complaining. Um, in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, um, the Philippians, G, uh, Paul is in prison. The Philippians have been very ambitious about getting him food, trying to care for his needs. are very concerned for Paul. And then he says this um, in verse 10, how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Verse 11, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ. There's the big athlete verse, kind of pulled out of context there, but... um, For for I have learned how to be content, uh, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And so Paul talks about this life of contentment, but he had to learn how to get there. And, and what, if, what if we learn how to get to that place of contentment through complaining? Some of you are like, I don't like that word. Can you call it something else, Danny? Complaining just doesn't feel right. We tell our kids to stop complaining, right? But what if we get to that place of Contentment through complaining. So I want to offer two suggestions. Um, I believe biblical suggestions as to when it is okay to complain so that through the complaining, we can actually learn how to be content in all things. Uh, The first answer to that question, when is it okay to complain, is this, when you take them to the Lord. When you take your complaints to the Lord. Now the psalmist, whether it's David or someone else, does this better than anybody. In fact, Psalm 142 verses 1 and 2 says, I cry out to whom? I cry out to the Lord. I plead for the Lord's mercy. I pour out my complaints before him and tell him all my troubles. There's, that's a lot of to the Lord's to him, for him. It's okay to complain 
when we're taking our frustrations, our troubles, and complaints to the Lord for a host of reasons. One, he's the only one that can do anything about it, right? We're gonna take our complaints to the one who actually can manage our life. It doesn't mean he whisks us away from suffering, but listen, it is okay to complain when we go to the one who can do something about the things that we're facing. That's what the testimony of others in the scripture do. When we go to Exodus chapter five, verse 22, um, Moses, Moses has real out of, really been out of shape before the Lord. God has promised that he's gonna rescue the people out of Egypt and now they have the, the Pharaoh and the army of Egypt on their heels and, and uh, Moses is like, what in the world are you doing? Have you just brought us out here to die? I can't do it, I'm just a man. I can't do anything about this. And Moses begins to complain to whom? To the Lord. He gets honest and real about what he's experiencing and what he's feeling and his frustration and he takes it not to Aaron because Aaron can't do a thing about it, but he takes him to the Lord. Who else does this? Jesus. What did Jesus say before he died on the cross? My God, my God, what? Why have you forsaken me? That's a complaint. Where did you go? Who did he say it to? To his father. He took his suffering and his complaint directly to the Lord. And Paul is another beautiful example of him learning how to be content. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse eight. You know this is the story of Paul's thorns in his side and he's like, man, Satan is right there. Sound familiar? The, the accuser in Job, he's like, Satan's right here. He's giving me a thorn in his side. And I went to the Lord three times. I complained to the Lord three times. Will you take this from me? He took it to the Lord. It is okay to complain and vent your frustrations and share your sufferings when you take it to the Lord. Now, I'm not denying that there is a place for godly, valuable friendship and pouring out your complaints to one that you can entrust to give you wisdom. You can do that too. There's a place for that. But in the heart of our suffering and complaint and frustration, we take them to the Lord, just like the psalmist did. It's also okay to complain when your faithful complaining rests on God's precious promises. I love this verse from 2 Peter. Um, chapter one, verses three through four. It says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Do you believe that? He's given you everything you need. In the middle of your suffering, he's given you everything that you need. In the middle of your frustrations and injustices that we face or turmoils that we face, he's given everything that we need. We've received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. So God has, by his divine power, has given us everything 
that we need. We've received all of this by the means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. It's okay to complain when your complaints rest upon God's precious promises. What promises did Moses have when he went to the Lord in chapter five? Lord, you promised you would rescue them. This is Exodus chapter three, eight. It says, God told Moses, I have come down to rescue them. Moses knew that. I'm gonna take my complaints to the Lord and they're undergirded by the promise that God said, I will rescue them. And, jo- and Moses is saying, Lord, I can't do this. You've gotta do this and you've promised you would do it. So our, our, our complaints have to rest on the promises of God. Jesus, the author of Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He suffered through the cross. Uh, when, when Jesus was saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That rested on the promise that he was gonna be victorious over sin and death in the resurrection. That on the other side of the cross, he was going to rise again and have victory over sin and death and that he would sit at the right hand of the Father. His complaint rested upon that promise. And Paul, his complaint about the thorn in his side rested on the promise of God's strength, Jesus' grace and mercy in the exact moment that he needed it. Philippians 4.13. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. That was the promise. And Lord, I come to you, I vent my frustrations, I complain to you, I, I want this taken from me, and I can come to you in my complaining because I trust in your promises that you'll give me strength to get through whatever I'm going through. Not only that, but Paul would say, my whole life, the promise of the resurrected life doesn't even begin, right? He would say that the suffering that I experienced doesn't even begin to compare to the life that is to come. And Paul's whole life was anchored on the promises of God. And so we too, in the midst of a hard life, Job is right. Life seems pointless and hard and futile at times and vain at times. And we take that to the Lord and we vent our frustrations and our fears and we complain, but we do so trusting in the promises of God that I will not leave you or forsake you. Listen, I know you will experience trouble, but I have overcome the world. And one day, there will be rest and peace and justice. Just hold on to me until that day comes. How does that work in real life? In, uh, in May, Ann and I will be married 20 years. It's pretty cool, pretty cool. Yeah, thank you. Y'all can clap for that, 20 years. 20 years. Now, I think 20 years is kind of a big deal. So I have planned a getaway for us uh, in May, and I have not told Anna where we're going. But let me tell you, it's, um, 
every day or maybe, oh yeah, it's pretty much every day, I actually go look at pictures of the place that we're going. Why? Why do you think I do that? And it's not like my life is hard and suffering. Listen, that's, this is not mirroring Job's life. I'm just trying to paint a picture of the value of promises, right? So in my mind, I'm thinking and longing for that day to come. And every day, I'll pull up a picture that reminds me that on May 23rd, this is where Anna and I will be, and we're gonna be able just to rest and enjoy each other for a handful of days, right? And it's that Reminder that holding on to that promise of that future reality that gives me joy and can pull me through the day, even though I know I don't have hard days, but that's how promises work. That's how promises work. We take our complaints and our troubles and our fears to the Lord, and He says, Can I show you a picture? of what it will be like. Yeah, I know your days are long and hard right now, but will you hold on to that promise? For the joy set before you, will you endure that just a little longer? The answer is yes. Job doesn't get us there right now, but he will. We will see that when we come closer to the end of Job. Hopefully this has been encouraging to you, but let's complain well and learn to be content in all things. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace towards us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this real life story of Job. May we be encouraged in the midst of our own suffering. That it's okay to take them to you and to trust in your promises all along the way. In Jesus' name, we pray and all God's people said, amen.